Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Well, look at this. It's Nikki and Josh as I live and breathe. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. Really glad to have you guys on. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Awesome. Well, let's let's jump right in and let you guys tell your story uh, to all of our listeners. I think it's a story that'll be compelling. Um, I'm really eager. I think I think that you guys are the second couple that we have had on. Um, so that's not been a you know, a side of this that we've done a lot. And I'm, I'm really excited to have you guys on to tell both sides of the story. The, the perspective that I share of the alcoholic in recovery and the perspective that Nikki, you share with Sherry, who is sadly not here and able to record today, but she'll be back next week. But so Nikki, you share that side of the street with her. So we're uh, eager to hear what you have to say about your not only your dealing with active alcoholism, but your discovery and recovery. So let's dive right in. Um, I'd love to hear what role alcohol, and it's going to be funny because some of these questions I'm going to ask, I know the answers to because I know you guys a little bit, but some of them I honestly, I either have never heard or I just don't remember. And I don't think we've talked a lot about the very beginning of your relationship. So when you guys were first when you first met and first started getting to know each other, what role did alcohol play in the relationship at the time? Were you both drinkers, neither of you drinkers? What was going on back then? So when Josh and I met, um, I was 21 and he was 20. So I would say alcohol played a pretty big role in both of us. Um, I'd say normal, but I don't like that word. Um, At least, you know, normal is what society makes normal for that age. Um, How about typical? You like that word? Yeah, typical seems a little better. Yeah, (laughs) Um, typical 20 year old. Yep, I mean, went to the bars, went to, um, I was older, so I had to wait for him a little bit before we could do the bar stuff. Um, Just had a lot of friends that drank and we were always pretty much surrounded by it. Um, I didn't, at the time, think of it as a problem. It was just the norm, the way, the typical way to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys, uh, how long did you date before it started getting serious? And, and then, you know, eventually engagement and marriage, how long did that whole process take? (laughs) He says three years, but, um, well, I say we, (laughs) so we met on, plentyoffish.com <laughs> which is funny wait wait well, what's it called <laughs> plentyoffish.com oh i love it i've never heard of that one i had yeah. a customer tell me that he met his last three girlfriends on there so i thought i would give it a try his last <laughs> three like it worked out <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um oh gosh we were together for like three years and then he proposed um we got married like a year later so everything 
was pretty quick with us. It was one of those relationships where like we saw each other every day, even though we met on plenty of fish, we literally only lived a mile from each other. So we ended up even having mutual friends at some point um, or finding out that we had mutual friends. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. We were into cars and street racing and all the fun stuff, young and dumb things to do. So I can make a bad joke about asking whether or not you're into fishing because of the name <laughs> of the site, but I'm not going to do that because that would be a lame joke. I did fishing when I was younger. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Josh is a yes. Nikki is a no on the fishing. Caught a few bass in my day. <laughs> is that is that was that your pickup line when you met Nikki? I've caught a few bass in my day. No. I would have ran the other way. <laughs> All right. So you're going along doing uh, normal or I suppose we should say typical young person stuff. When did, when did alcohol begin to be an issue or, okay, let me, let me let you get married first. So you got engaged, you got married, right? Um, it feel like smooth sailing or there a lot of times people, there are warning signs while they're engaged, but they ignore them and push through. Was there any of that or was it pretty smooth at that point? Um, I would say that it was pretty smooth at that point. Um, we were still drinking on both ends, but it wasn't like a every weekend sort of thing. Uh, it kind of died down quite a bit. But looking back, I could see the warning signs, but I did not see them necessarily at the time. I liked my beer at the end of the day. Yeah. On a yeah. summer day, I liked my beer. Which that's what my dad did growing up. So that was pretty normal for me, for me to see. And I just, I didn't see a problem with it. There were maybe a couple instances that happened um, where I was like, whoa, um, maybe there's more to it, but still didn't really hit me in the face with it yet. Now, when we talk about typical or normal, and, and young 20s I know in our case you know I'm not just dragging Sherry through the coals because she's not here to defend herself she would <laughs> she would say that too there were times where she went overboard for sure as well was was that do you share uh in that sentiment Nikki were there times where you were just you know got carried away no like I am a lightweight it did not take me much at all to get me drunk and I was a happy drunk I was one that people wanted to be around when I was drunk because I was like laughing and giggling and I was just overall a good time to be around so it um it didn't take much and I honestly did not really like it um I never got hangovers so that was never an issue for me but I just, I don't know, something about it just wasn't really my thing. I just kind of did it to fit in with the people around me. Gotcha. Now, Josh, I can totally relate to the cold beer on the end of a hot day uh, feeling. That's certainly how it was for me for a long time. Did it get to the point where you started to, to feel concerned? Did it get to be, you know, kind of a compulsive thing and you, you needed it more than you were comfortable with? How did, how did that go for you? No, it was, I don't know. I, I was going through a thing where I um I felt like I was entitled to have it. And then um 
Yeah, I never really got, I wasn't one of those people that got drunk every single day. I just would like to, I would probably just drink maybe one too many. Um, you know, maybe drinking a six pack just because it's hot outside and you spent the whole day in the heat isn't really a good excuse, but yeah, <clears throat> it's just, you know, I was uh, self-medicating and I didn't even know it back then yet. Yeah. We're always trying to run from things, but sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. And then when we do know it, we end up drinking even more. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got a really good grip and understanding of that now, but at the time you were doing it because it felt normal and, and it's refreshing. Like you said, I mean, you work hard and you feel entitled. And I mean, for Nikki to talk about her dad, that's what my dad did. Yeah. <laughs> he would drink a six pack every day after work. I don't know when he stopped, but that, that was how I grew up. So I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, this is what people do. Yeah, I mean, I, sh I share that in common with you as well. I mean, my dad, he drank beer on the weekends, but he drank gin during the week. But um, a night didn't go by when, you know, when he didn't have one. So um, I totally can, or didn't have a, a couple. I can totally relate, relate to that just being so normalized. I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything else to do. So who got concerned first? Was, was it you? No, I know, you know, I know the, and we'll get into the, the Thanksgiving story, but was there creeping concern or was it, or was it just that kind of all of a sudden thing? Well, Nikki started slowing down and then I didn't want to stop. Sure. You know? Um, well, <clears throat> you say that, but so he stopped for a few years. He quit. Um, and he literally told me that he was an addict and he would tell people I'm an addict and you don't, you can't have someone do cocaine and only do it once. And so that's what he would tell people. And like, you know, to relate to like why they, they try to push him to drink something with them. And he'd be like, no, like I'm an addict. And I'd look at him and I'm like, what? Like, no, you're not an addict. Like you don't go home and drink every day. And like, you don't pound them back. And like, looking back on it, like that happened so he quit because it, for me, at least he told me in the moment, it was for like a health standpoint, right? Like he was getting really fit, didn't want the extra calories. And so it stopped for a good period of time. We argue on the amount of time, um, but that, you know, that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But there were a few instances um, leading up to the big explosion, I should say, Um you know, he slowly started to drink again. And I thought it was odd because, you know, Josh was one that was cheap. When we go to a restaurant, that was the last thing he wanted to buy was a drink, you know, because they were expensive. And when he started doing that, I was like, this is weird. You know, I never said anything. I just kind of went with it. And there was one particular instance, um, looking back that I remember, and it was a boo at the zoo and we had the best time. We took our daughter and it was a really great evening. And we came back and I told him I needed to, him to do something and fix something on the, um, car seat or something with the car. And he was acting real funny. And I remember that night 
going downstairs and seeing a bottle out in the open with a Coke Zero next to it. And I went to my mom, we live with my mom, and I told my mom, this is your opportunity. It has to come from you. I'm like, if it comes from me, it's not going to be a good thing. And he's going to explode. And he respects you enough to where he'll almost respect her boundary more, right? So she told him flat out, this isn't allowed in our house. I don't know what's going on in your head or why you're doing this, but it's not going to be welcome in this home because, you know, we have our daughter here. And last thing she needed was to pick it up because it's not like he hit it and have the accident of her, you know, maybe tasting what's in the bottle, which there wasn't anything left, but a drop is enough. But um, I didn't tell him for uh, at least until recently, I want to say within the last year that it was actually me who found the bottle. I still have that note somewhere. I just don't know where it is. I misplaced it. And it was a turning point because then he was like, I need help. And he went to AA after that. He was still very angry, (laughs) but he went to AA and I remember going with him and it was like, you sat in a room and it was a very large group of people. That meeting is actually very, very large. And that's part of the reason why I stopped doing AA the first time, because I was hearing it was in a hospital, in a hospital basement. And I was hearing stories of people worlds beyond what I was. So I let it get to my head like well i'm not like that i did you know like we have it in in our group we talk about well i'm not like that guy i'm not like that person i didn't do that i didn't do that so i was like "Ah, i'm not an alcoholic so i just kind of white knuckled it for a little while well and i was the one going you're not an alcoholic those people are (laughs) getting out of jail and rehab and all these things and i'm like i just found one bottle (laughs) and you're claiming you're an addict you know like I was totally over my head at that point. I had no, no idea. So at some point, Josh, for you, it went from, you know, drinking some beers after work, refreshing to something clicked in your head before it did for Nikki, where you said, whoa, this is a problem. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, like, like what happened for you that made you say, because you said, like, like we both agreed come home from work, have a few beers. That's what my, my dad did. That's what all the males in my life I'm familiar with did. No big deal. At some point you started to be concerned about it before Nikki was and, and say, I mean, for you to come out in parties and, and around other people and say, I'm an addict, um, you, you must've realized you had a problem before she even did. Right. Um, I guess maybe, but not fully. Uh, I would, um, that's when I like, I first stopped. I was when I was, uh, well, my sponsor would call it a dry drunk, you know? Sure. Um, but um, I have one friend, and now he's sober too, but he would always say, you can have one. I'm like, no, I can't have one because if I have one, I'm going to have like 10. And um, that was always the times when we had the worst instances is when we would go to family parties, especially her cousin would go out to the uh, do a bonfire. That We actually even had one of our worst nights because I got low. I got loaded on uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade and stuff. But, um, Mixture of things. You know, like when you're when all of your friends are drinkers and you tell them, you know, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. Yeah. You know, like I, I have friends that um, in the program that are like that, but their friends 
knew where they were alcoholics. So they, when they when they said it, they respected it. So the difference between that and my friends is nobody respected it. I kept having everybody in my life was drinking and trying to shove drinks down my throat, especially the guys at the work when I was working at the steel place. They would all love to go to the bar at, on Fridays. And I would, and anytime I would go and Nikki would get angry and upset. But, you yeah. know, uh, I don't know. I, something in my head just knew there was something not right. But I mean, like she said, it started out as a fitness thing. Because yeah. I, I, I didn't want to, I was, I didn't want to take in the calories. <laughs> That's the whole thing. But, so this is so interesting because it a lot of it resonates with me. I know a lot of it's going to resonate with our listeners. You're trying to quit and your buddies are telling you, you don't have a problem, you know, just suck it up. Don't drink as much, you know, try to be calm around your wife, stuff like that. And then, you know, even Nikki isn't sure that you're an alcoholic. Uh, and then you go to the place to get help. And like you said, it's a big meeting and there's so many people that compare to you uh, that have a bigger, you know, what seems like a bigger problem than you do. So you're like, man, everything is telling me I'm, except for inside where I think I got a problem, everything else is telling me I don't have a problem. Uh, man, that, that story is so typical and so frustrating to me because how many other people would be out there getting help if they didn't think they had to be sleeping under a bridge, you know, and pissing yeah. themselves every night before they actually get the help. So I, I'm right there with you. I totally understand. So when did you, Nikki, kind of come around? Was the finding the bottle and then your mom having the conversation, was that did was that kind of for you like, okay, maybe there is a problem here? Nope, not even then. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> eight, so that was in October that that happened because it was with the zoo. So in um, January. with the zoo, honestly. No. <laughs> you were sober, but yeah, anyway. Um, so in January of 19, um, Josh lost his job. And it was a pretty big career that he was with the company for nine years. And it kind of swept the rug out from under us. And I could tell he was struggling um, a lot. And he, I knew it hurt his ego. I knew he was struggling to find a job that would even compare to the one that he had. And I wanted to be there, but I didn't know how. And around April of 19, I found a receipt that he left by the um, door in our house. And I- Not left, probably fell out of my pocket. Mm, ah, <laughs> fell out of your pocket and landed on the entertainment center by the TV. <laughs> but it was a receipt from the bar and it had three shots of whiskey on it. And it, it's still at this point in time, I look at it and I'm mad, right? Because now he lied about where he went that night and um, he obviously drank. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? He's like, oh, I relapsed. And he's using like these, these terms that I'm like, that are reverting back to this like alcoholic. And I'm like, dude, you're not an alcoholic. Like I still wasn't there but I was mad, but I still wasn't there to accepting that he was an alcoholic. And so I went with it. He claimed he was going to go to meetings again. Um, yeah. I don't know. He said he did. I went to the very same meeting that drove me away from AA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't help. Like an idiot. And then 
that was pretty much then he started coming home and he was acting real funny and when I say funny like he was giggling um he almost seemed high and me and my mom you know we'd go back and forth and we just give each other the look like oh yep he's on something but we can't we can't figure out what it is and he would tell us that he took too much kratom and which in the beginning was true right and i this is where i struggle really hard because he was stumbling right like he wasn't just acting giggly and everything like he was falling down the stairs stumbling and for when we talk about i be i'm being blindsided by this um alcohol that he was hiding from me I don't like to use that anymore because now when I look back, it really, whoo, trying not to cry. <laughs> I'm almost wondering if subconsciously I just didn't want to accept that it was right in front of my face um, and that all these signs were there because literally I just gave you them all, right? Like I've told you these run-ins that he's had with alcohol and me just not wanting to accept that he may have a problem and so when I say that he was hiding the alcohol from me I really don't think that that was necessarily the case I just was I didn't want to see it because our relationship was in so much turmoil at that point already that I don't know that I could have handled the weight of another thing on my back so that's interesting so you're thinking gosh we're arguing we're not getting along we've got these problems that's this issue over here. Alcohol is also an issue, but gosh, I, I just can't deal with that right now. I got to stay focused on the, the fact that the relationship is struggling and not, and, and it's not your fault. There's not, you didn't do anything wrong, but we're so innocent because we, we aren't taught what alcohol can do to a relationship. So you're thinking of them as separate issues at this point and not realizing that one is causing the other. Right. Um, the other thing, so you talked about Kratom, uh, which I think we, we need to clarify that because I know you guys were the first time I had actually heard of it and I had to look it up and do a little research. Um, and what my research has uh, explained is that Kratom is a, it's a part stimulant and part opioid. It's, it's like from the coffee bean family, the plant is actually from the coffee bean family, which you would explain the stimulant portion of it. Um, but th so this was something where Josh, were you taking Kratom to, to try to keep from, drinking alcohol or like how did you how did you find out about this stuff well i had this thing called complex ptsd and i'm in a group on i was in a group on facebook full of people that said this stuff helps me control my problems so it okay. started out as just doing that um then i discovered that it would take pain away and um the steel place had caused rotator cuff tears in my shoulder little like micro tears all over it and i would take the stuff to get rid of the pain and um you know if does it I come, is it in a is it like in a pill form no i would use the powder because i didn't like the pills because i was too cheap i didn't want to okay. spend that much money you got more for your money if you bought the powders okay got it went down like you were drinking sand but you know <laughs> <laughs> but um if i took too much you would it would you know, because it, it goes in the brain and it affects the um, the opiate, the same receptors that opiates go after. So you get that little like euphoric feeling 
And then I discovered that if I was going to combine it with drinking alcohol, it was different, you know, like I was slowly going on and on and deeper and deeper into it, you know, and then till, till I got caught. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and that was the hard part on my end because I'm sitting there looking at this man who's literally acting drunk. And I never and... hit the kratom from her either. So no. that was the other, that's the other thing when I was thinking, oh, I could just tell her I took too much. <laughs> my shoulder okay. hurt a little bit, so I took too much kratom. That's why I'm stumbling. And that's why it it made us believe it, you know, because he's, he's telling us he's taken too much Kratom and we're like, I would go and I'd be upset and I'd tell my friends and they're like, are you sure he's not drunk? And I'm like, no, like he wouldn't do that. And like, he's, he's on this Kratom and you know, I, I finally contacted his Kratom dealer, (laughs) so to say, and I was like, look, like I need health care. I'm like, you know, he's taking this stuff that you've given him and he's, he's acting like he's drunk. And she's like, no, like, it's not going to cause you to act that way. She literally (laughs) said, are you sure he's not drinking? And I'm like, no, like I was still in denial that he was drinking and coming across as he was taking extra Kratom. And, you know, I, I felt stupid, but deep down in my gut, a part of me was going he's drunk and it wasn't until the night that I actually caught him that I had like a deja vu moment well this this makes a lot of sense so this it's building towards something you Nikki are getting frustrated and and, but you're not sure what because you're even fighting yourself back and saying this can't be alcohol I I know I know it's not alcohol he said he's not drinking it's so it's building towards something and you don't know what I mean you must just be pulling your hair out at this point and uh you know the oh, relationship's still struggling and <laughs> trying to figure it out um do you want to do you want to dive into what happened before or the night before thanksgiving well the relationship was holding on by a thread at this point and you know the lies the it's just kratom and i wanted to believe it because he'd tell me he's in pain and he's taking it for pain. And I, you know, just tell him like, you know, take something else. Why, why is it making you act this way? And he'd tell me it's helping my pain. So I, I went with it. Right. And so, um, the night before Thanksgiving of 19, right? Of 19, he, uh, came in the door and was, I could tell he was on that giggly path again. Um, so I assumed the Kratom once again. It just wasn't over the top at that point. And, you know, he was in a good mood. So I'm like, hey, you know, we're prepping for Thanksgiving. I had him go downstairs and um, they were, him and my daughter were watching a movie. Sorry, and me, me and my mom were upstairs prepping the cooking. We were having all of our family here, um, our California family and everything. It was going to be a big ordeal. And next thing I know, it was getting late. So I asked him to put my daughter to bed or to get her ready for bed. And I'm in the kitchen and I can hear him in the bathroom with my daughter and she's brushing her teeth or something and he's giggling and the way he was laughing sent me back to our honeymoon. 
and we were pretty freaking drunk our entire honeymoon and I just got this huge rush of like deja vu and I'm like my gut was telling me he's drunk right now and I didn't want to believe it but I ran downstairs and his backpack was downstairs and that was also a newly acquired thing he'd been carrying around as of recently it was this new backpack right yeah he didn't go anywhere without it and I looked in the backpack and I see this brown paper and I open it and there's this little bottle of vodka and oh man the I can feel the moment of all the anger rushing to the forefront and just being like, holy crap, like, this is alcohol. And it was empty. So I go upstairs and I look at him and observe him for a moment as he's sitting on the toilet watching my daughter brush her teeth and he's just giggling. His eyes are red. And my mama claws come out and I'm like, have you been drinking? And no, like immediate denial. And I'm like, I know you have, I saw the bottle. I'm like, you need to leave. And it caused a uproar for him. He, um, he went downstairs and he was real upset the floor crying um I I call this his breaking point and mine and uh it started to make my daughter get upset so I put her upstairs and if anyone knows my daughter they know that she doesn't go to sleep on her own (laughs) so I told her daddy was sick and um she had to go to bed and I can hear him talking to my mom and at this point, he's like suicidal. Um, a lot of nasty words coming out about me, blaming me, blaming his job, the loss of his job. Uh, so I'm like, I'm reached the point where I'm like, I can't help this man. I have done everything I can to this point and I can't help him. So I'm texting his therapist his old pastor and his like pretty much only friend at the time and his friend got back to me the quickest and I felt very blessed because it's the day before Thanksgiving you know like who's gonna answer me at nine o'clock at night and he did he came over calmed him down talked to him and put him to bed (laughs) and uh you know I I friends are for right yeah, and I was super thankful for that because well, he's like a brother to me, so yeah. I don't know that I, me or my mom, would have been able to handle because he wanted to walk out the door, and he wanted to basically walk into traffic, and I needed that higher force, someone other than us, who he might listen to a little better, and um. So he's in bed and I'm in bed and I'm shaking because right now I'm just beyond upset. And I don't I, remember a lot of this, just to let you know. Sure. <laughs> I, can, 
I can understand that. Let me ask you too, Nikki. I understand how upsetting this is and how much anger there is involved. Was there any feeling of relief though? Because like you had known something was up and something was wrong and you finally figured out what it is. I mean, it's not uncommon in relationships for the drinker to hide the drinking completely. And then all of a sudden, you know, through an incident like this, it comes to light what's really going on. Um, so was there any feeling like, aha, this is the problem. Now I know at least. Or were you just too angry to think that way at the point at that moment? Um, when I caught the, the small bottle in his backpack, I felt a little sense of relief. Um, but I was still really angry because then I'm laying in bed and I can't sleep. I'm jittery and I'm replaying the night in my head and he's really drunk, like really drunk. And I'm like, I found a small bottle and Josh is not a lightweight. And I told my mom, I said, I mean, it was probably midnight, one o'clock at this point. And I'm like, I have to go and go in his car. I said, I, my gut is telling me there's more to this and I have to go. And my mom's like, no, no, like, don't, there's nothing in there, Nikki, like go to sleep. It's Thanksgiving. We have a big day tomorrow. And I said, I have to go to his car. So I did. And she like kind of stood watch because if he woke up and saw me rummaging through his car, he'd be pissed. And, um, so I go outside and there's what ended up being like five or six bottles plain as day. And I'm not talking about the small bottle that I found in his backpack. I'm talking like the 120 ounce bottles, probably the biggest one you can buy at a grocery store with the receipts. Um, and vodka, right? Vodka, front seat, back seat, trunk, half, Was it half open, um, empties. Um, Josh, was it, was it vodka because you liked the, the taste or for many of us, myself included, we end on vodka because we can mix it with anything and nobody can smell it. Was it one of those yeah, deals? Hard to smell. It was uh, inexpensive. And the, um, the brand I found went down like water, but was, okay. was, was almost was pretty much more powerful than a lot of other vodkas, but you didn't taste it. Yeah. So, you gotta love those Finnish people, but. <laughs> yeah. When I saw the receipt. It was from that one was fresh. Um, <clears throat> From the night before he got home. I mean, a twenty-dollar bottle, and it was huge. I was like, "It's a dream, a dream come true for an alcoholic," you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good couple of days. Yeah. So I went back in the house. I, I took all the bottles with me. Now, didn't you tell me they were in the car, but they weren't even super hidden, right? No, not at all. Because I think that's a fascinating part of the story. Kind of out in you the open. Seen him at any point on the floor, on the seat, behind the seat. Um, the trunk was the only ones that would seem to be hidden, but I'll, I'll tell you why that, that I know this because Josh used to go out to his car anytime me and my daughter had to go with him anywhere and he'd clean out his car. And now I know what he's been doing. He would take the bottles, 
hide them in, or under blankets in the back of his trunk. And and now it all made sense. But now, you know, to this day, it's still a trigger anytime he has to like clean out his car because I knew that's what he was doing all along now when he used to clean and put stuff in the trunk. So those were the only bottles that were actually hidden were the ones that were in the trunk. But I knew better than to just think they'd be out like that. Like I feel like I was an investigator in my past life. But anyways, I just knew like I got to dig here and like he had big heavy blankets and they were you know in the blankets one was in a bag and I took him in I hid his keys because I I feared him waking up and wanting to just leave and the next day he got mad demanded his keys I thought for sure our marriage was over um and I literally told him like you need to go to AA and you need to get a sponsor or you're no longer welcome in our home. And thank God, <laughs> um, he's here today still. But um, we, you know, the next day he went, he went to AA and he got a sponsor. And no. No. the next day, not, went, not Thanksgiving, but the day after Thanksgiving. He went. I found my sponsor on a Saturday. That's beside well, Josh, I'm curious when the when the bottles were in the car, um, and you know you didn't necessarily know that you guys were going somewhere as a family, so you hadn't moved them to the trunk. Them being that much in plain sight, is there any piece of you that did, did you kind of almost want to get caught? Like, were you? Did, did, was there any any part of you that was like, man, this isn't going well? Um, and and gosh, if she'll only find out then that's the breaking point and I'm going to have to deal with it or was it just kind of the carelessness of an alcoholic to just leave bottles laying around I'd say it's a mix of both yeah part of me wanted to get caught because part of me knew what I was doing was bad and part of me knew that I was going to end up in you know uh, in, in some bad spots but uh, you know like it was a it was a rough day at work that day and then um, with me I'm not good with family or at least I never used to be so it was the day before Thanksgiving. I was, I felt like I wanted to get extra drunk, you know, because <laughs> I oh, wouldn't yeah. be able to do it while everybody's there in front of her, you know. I thought that I was, but then, so it was probably a mix of both carelessness and um, just, you know, maybe it was, uh, maybe there was a little bit of thrill of how much can I get away with, I guess, kind of stuff before he, she puts it together. He, you, you told me. I was drunk at work too. And I don't know how customers ever didn't smell it. Because at the time I was working at a dealership and I had discovered that being drunk led to bigger sales because I I'd get funnier and more charismatic when I was drunk. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I could do this while that work. I can make extra money. And right. Well, yeah. that's that's exactly why <laughs> I used to like to get him drunk, because I like that extra personality that came out. But uh -huh. He told me when I found the receipt at the bar in April, he told me maybe I put it there for you to find. Yeah. And, you know, he made a joke at the very beginning of this that said, oh, it fell out of my pocket. Like, no, I think he actually really wanted me to find it because I think he was like crashing on the inside and didn't know how to get the help he needed. And 
wanted to get caught. He wanted, he wanted something. He knew his mind was in dark places and he didn't know how to help it. Well, it's funny how that subconscious part of our minds work. Um, you never know really what's going on. So leaving the bottles in plain sight or the receipt, uh, that all sounds totally understandable. Uh, and that, yeah, here I am going, automatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I totally get it. One of the things I'm curious about, um, so you've had uh, great success. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, how, how, how much time do you have right now, Josh? Uh, Three maybe months? A, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Um, and, and you attribute a lot of, I mean, you've, you've had great success with AA, right? You've had good relationships with your sponsor and you found a meeting that's not in the, the hospital basement with 3000 people, right? You, you've got good stuff going on, right? It, um, we, um, it's the Alano club, so it's a little smaller, but I mean, um, I heard what I needed to hear from him because he was the actual, like one, there was a speaker meeting I went to was my second meeting the first meeting I was hiding in the corner and there are a whole bunch of the guys that are in my home group that were there that night and they remember me hiding in the corner not acting you know trying to look like I uh, you know but uh, we we know when people are new so the next day was a speaker meeting where uh, my sponsor was actually the one up there telling his story and I heard a whole bunch of stuff that I that inside I just dribble started running and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sneak out of the, the, you know, sneak out of there because I was still in my head. I was thinking, I'm just going to do this to get her off my back. But something inside me made me go up to him and say, I need help. <laughs> and here I am. Wow, man. That's cool. That's very cool. One of the things that I know we've talked about before, that's a little bit of just a difference of opinion that I want to explore a little bit. You know, I, I'm of the mindset that alcohol is to blame um, for all of these problems, the relationship problems, the changes in, in the people that love us and the changes in ourselves. But I know you're more of a proponent of taking personal responsibility. You don't like that blame the alcohol stuff, at least not to the extent that I talk about it. Can you share your, your thoughts and opinions on that, Josh? Um, well, uh, the little story that um, I, my sponsor has told me is uh, like, or like they asked me a question. If you take the alcohol away from an alcoholic, what do you have? You still have an alcoholic, just he doesn't have his security blanket, basically. So, I mean, from even, I mean, working the steps for me, it helped me because it, it taught me that I am the problem. Everything that I was trying to do, alcohol was just a symptom, it was, um, was a way that I would escape it for a little time being. Um, I guess, I mean, in, in some cases, if the alcohol wasn't there, I sure I probably might not have done something, but I might have turned into something else. Um, but I, I don't know, I just, I used to blame the alcohol. And I just, because of my sponsor, my home group, I just had to, we're real big on um, taking responsibility for our actions. And uh, it's a pretty big uh, thing to do. You know, it's a lot of stuff that we have to do, but we do it because we want to stay sober. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, I, I, looking back, I just, I can't blame the alcohol because it didn't jump down my throat. I yeah. chose, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I think, I think there's one thing that we definitely agree wholeheartedly on. And that's that, you know, alcohol is the medication. There's something going on 
whether it's childhood trauma, which is which is very, very common among those of us who fall victim to alcoholism um, or something later in life. There's there's just there's something that's eaten at us that's different than, you know, it's not just the alcohol. The alcohol is what we're using to cover it up and digging down and working on that. And I just applaud you, man. I think it's great that uh, through the 12 steps, that's that's the mode that has resonated with you and helped you to work through the thing below the alcohol that's eating at you. Um, is it safe to say you're done with Kratom as well? Yeah, I haven't had any of that in at least a year and a half as well. You know, so, uh, but like my shoulders all healed up. Even the last time my doctor looked at it, there's no, there's no tears in there anymore anyway. But so, I mean, the main reason why I, I, I have no pain in my shoulder anymore. So it doesn't bother me, but yeah, uh, but, but you were, I mean, you mixed the Kratom with the alcohol and we're like, well, that yeah, feels pretty good. Yeah. I mean, so, at this point, I'm just not going to do anything that I think might lead me to relapse. Yeah. And I think Kratom might very well possibly do that because in my head, it's going to be linked to alcohol. So even if I was in pain, now I just take some Tylenol and I deal with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Nikki, um, I know that uh, in Josh's early sobriety until somewhat recently, you were in contact with his sponsor. And I think that's, a unique and interesting part of the story. How, how did that come about? Was it just you you felt so strongly and you you, you wanted your husband to be healthy, and so you got you got involved in that process? <laughs> well, yes. Um, so back in March of twenty, Josh was going through one of the steps. I don't remember which one. Four. It says four, which is four and five. I don't know what the name is, but basically he, his sponsor at the time was testing him by, you have to be all willing at some point to make amends to. No, that's later on. Everybody, but that's later on. I, um, I wanted, he was telling me and he had this like pride look on his face that he's telling me this story. And his sponsor was testing him on whether or not he told him to call his, his mom. Now, you're not talking, it's not when you met James. He wants to know when you met James. That is the first time I talked to James. No, you, the first, I can, I know the story. I'll tell you. Okay. I was at the, I was at work and there's this, there's a part, there's a part in the steps where you have to write down everybody you've hurt. And all this other stuff, what she's talking about is a little bit later, but it doesn't matter. Um, now, the, the, it's called an inventory. Sure. And, um, in, in my home group and my sponsor explained to me that inventory is for you and me and God. And no one else needs to see that. And she wanted to see it. And I didn't know any way to explain to her how to, you know. So it's one thing led to another to where she, um, my sponsor said that his wife actually said she would sit down and talk with her. So they went to a Duncan and were there for like two hours while I was like at home pacing back and forth because I'm a neurotic mess at the time. Um, but it helped her a lot. And it's funny because back in the day, that's the way they would do it. The sponsor would go to the family first. But nowadays, it's just it's 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 not, you know, he even asked me permission. Do I have permission to talk to your, your wife about you? I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> go right ahead. If it's, well, it's, it's going to help, then that's fine. 
we have our stories mixed up on time, but for me, my version of this, we did meet. Yes. But I, my thing was he was going through a step and his sponsor wanted him to call his mom. And he was like, Oh, I don't have her phone number. (laughs) And Josh was replaying this story to me. And he was so proud because he, he was able to move up a step in his recovery um, because his sponsor said he did everything right. And um, he was supposed to then call his like sister or something or someone who can give his mother's number to him. And Josh is like, yeah, I moved up a step. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you lied. Like you have your mom's phone number and you just moved up to the next level or next step based on a lie because you have your mom's number in your phone. And he's like, oh no, it doesn't matter. Like I'm on the next step and I'm going, no, like this is wrong. Like step one is honesty. So I contacted his sponsor and bless this man, because when I see him next time, I'm going to be giving him a real big hug and his wife. But I was like, Hey, I'm just letting you know, like Josh lied. Like he had his, he has his mother's phone number. Now his mom was a big trigger for Josh because she did a lot of pain to cause a lot of the things in his childhood. And I understood why he lied wholeheartedly. I, I get it, but it was still a lie. And I knew in the program, you're supposed to be honest. And so his sponsor then told me, Hey, look, like I'm going to give him a couple days to come to me with this because I had told him that he was going to come to him and admit that he lied, but I just didn't feel he was going to. And so he did, he gave him like two days and Josh didn't say anything. And so he had texted me and said, Hey, can you give me his mom's phone number? I'm going to test him tonight. Cause I see him in person. And I was like, yeah, here. And so he sees Josh and he gives him, he has him, he's like, Hey, call this number. And he like types in the number. And of course, mom displays on the screen on Josh's phone. And of course he's caught red handed then. Well, now Josh knows that we've talked and he was pissed. And so he got moved back down to step one, which was honesty. (laughs) And Josh was mad. I mean, he was mad for days, like at me for it. And I'm like, well, you're the one who gave me his phone number and I took advantage of it. Like you, you lied. Like, I don't need this. And I was trying to take control of his, the situation and hold him accountable. And his sponsor greatly appreciated that because he probably wouldn't have known that otherwise if I didn't come forward and say it because he only gets what Josh tells him and he was getting a different perspective from me. And it was great from both sides of it. You know, I was getting validation and, you know, his sponsor was getting another perspective from someone in the house that lives with Josh that knows him. That's such a unique part of the story though, because I, I don't, I think that's very rare. I mean, Josh, I think you said that, that the way, that's the way it used to be. I don't know of anyone these oh, days sure. has that kind of, what's that? That was like the 1930s or yeah. when it first started, but I think mom, I'm pretty sure my sponsor told me that I'm, I'm the first sponsor he ever had where the wife, while they were working the steps, the girlfriend or wife. <laughs> 
needed extra <laughs> from them, that'd be but. me <laughs> well so i'm glad you're laughing about this because i mean one of the things that you've been working on nikki and your your recovery or discovery is getting away from that codependency stuff that that need to you know control and you you i'm not putting those words in your mouth you use the word control several times um so i know i know that some good came out of that you know we uh, addressed the specific lie, the specific issue, but at the same time, that's some pretty hot and heavy codependency that you're in when you're um, getting involved with the sponsor and you're trying to control the uncontrollable. You're trying to control the other side of the street. Um, how how do I ask this? Um, it you've gotten to the point where you're not doing that anymore. Uh, does that feel like a relief to you? Like like what was that transition life? Because because as we all know. There's healing that is, has to be involved with both the alcoholic and the, the spouse as well. Um, does it feel good to be out of that game, out of the talking to the sponsor game? I'm sure so it feels I'm good saying, for Josh. <laughs> well, that's just it, right? Like when I say that I had a relationship with a sponsor, it, it doesn't mean I was talking to him every day or every week yeah. even, or even every month. It was a very need to need basis. And it wasn't often by no means, but it was giving me this form of control to be able to go, Oh, Hey, Josh is over here doing something that I don't think he should be doing or something sounds fishy. And like his sponsor appreciated that because he was still again, getting that perspective. But I felt like I was in this limbo because I knew that it felt like I was tattling on my husband and not letting him have his own recovery. But at the same time, it, it, it was, I, I had to step back. I had to take the scare. Now <laughs> I, I don't know what was the underlying moment where I was like, no, I have to stop. But I just came to this mostly in part by the, the women in Echoes of Recovery who just helped me to see that it was a very codependent move that I was still trying to control. And when I realized that and heard them tell me this, I, I called it like I broke up with his, <laughs> with his sponsor. That was my way of phrasing it because that's what it felt like. I had to step back and I, I texted him and I thanked him and I Will hopefully thank him in person and his wife because they were a blessing to me in the time that I, you know, had the need for them. But I realized I wasn't going anywhere in my recovery. And Josh was already through the steps. He was already, you know, through the program and just going. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I can't control if he relapses. I can't control if he does something wrong. He has to hold himself accountable. And when I did that, it was this freeing moment of almost instant, instant progress for me. And it was a, a steep up, up climb from there. I mean, I feel like I progressed so much after that point. It was like this weight that I didn't know I was carrying off my shoulders. And I'm like, you know what, whatever happens, happens, but I know I'll be okay. And yeah, it was, it was a moment. There's, there's a ton of freedom in letting go. No question about that. 
Um, I, I think that's great. And it, Josh, that must, I mean, I mean, you've made a ton of progress. You've got a great relationship with your sponsor. Um, and I know the relationship with your wife is, is just improving and improving, but that must've been a freeing moment for you too, right? Not, not feeling like she's looking over your shoulder. I mean, I know you're, you sound like the kind of guy that you're willing to do whatever it takes. And if that's what it takes, then fine. But at the same time, that independence, getting that back, that's got to feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, and I can remember many times going to my sponsor and saying, hey, this woman don't, shouldn't trust me. You know, why, why can't she believe anything I say? And then he would, every single time, it'd be the same answer. He's like, you have no credibility with her right now. You have to trust the process. And that one day she will stop looking over your shoulder. But I mean, I think feel like maybe it's a little bit still there, but you know, it's what it is. Uh, one yeah. day she's going to look back and not, can't even, you know, and I'll be saying I have 30 years to write. Yeah, I don't intend to ever give it up. <laughs> he like was it. mad. He was mad at me, <laughs> but like he learned from it. He learned why, you know, me going, me going to his sponsor happened. Like he was mad about it, but he learned from it and was able to look back and go, I'm glad you did it. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I understand that. Um, I, I really understand the advice that your sponsor gave that you've got to trust the process. And that's where the rebuilding of trust comes from. It does take a long time. Even if we're doing all the right stuff, it still takes a long time. And you just got to, you know, in part trust that it's going to work out and put in the time. One of the things, though, that you guys have done, I know you're probably going to both roll your eyes when I bring this up because I'm such a fan of this. But it's something that Sherry and I did. And I know you guys have done it as well is is schedule time to talk on a weekly basis and dedicate that time and say, look, we're going to go through our resentments or the things that are bothering us or whatever it is. We're going to have a a dedicated time to communicate. Um, I don't know if you guys are still doing that, but I know that you've dabbled in it. And I'm wondering if you can share what that's been been like to rather than just wait till things build up and then, you know, spit venom at each other, but to actually sit down and talk on a, on a regular basis. What's that done for your relationship? Let me just say real quick. So it's kind of funny when she mentioned she wanted to do that stuff. And I was like, oh, well, in my group, we call that getting current. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I'm supposed to call my sponsor once a week, at least, you know, and we would talk, do the kind of sort of same thing. Just a little quick recap, you know, or um, I guess once the pan, once everything settled down, you were meet up somewhere, but phone call gets it all done. But um, I, 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 we try to do it. It seems to work pretty good. You know, we haven't necessarily scheduled it like you and Sherry, but um, we try to make it a point to at least have a day that we, if we go out or we do something and we talk and it's, it's just nice being able to actually talk and him actually able to hear me and he's not defensive anymore. And and, you know how amazing that is? She can ask me questions and I don't flip out. Right. And that's still a learning curve for me because I'm still hesitant at times because I'm afraid he's going to flip out. But, you know, that was a lot in take to your podcast that you just um, had um, with Sherry this past uh, week. You know, you guys talked a lot about that. And it's nice to be able to just have a conversation and dropping the wall a little bit 
and letting him back in and knowing that, you know, he is sober and he has done the steps and he has gotten a therapist and has worked with um, his therapist and really dove. It's like, as soon as I dropped the sponsor and started to work it solely on myself, he got a therapist and started working solely on him. And the difference that that made was night and day, um, night and day. I'm sure yeah. maybe you can vouch for how I was bawling until this point. It seemed like I was still crying in echoes and everything else and releasing all this pent up anger. And why wasn't this working? Why are we still here? Like, why? And it's like, then once I let go of the codependent stuff and it's been, it's been really nice and it's a breath of fresh air to have, or feel like I have a part of my husband back. Well, we, we always say there's three steps in the process. You've got it in the, this part, the step that we skipped, Sherry and I skipped until we finally figured it out was Sherry working on her stuff. I, you know, I was working real hard on my sobriety and we were trying to work on the relationship, but we hadn't given any space for her to work on her stuff. Um, and I, I love that you described it as, you know, you dropped, you dropped the sponsor. That was Josh's sponsor that you dropped. You know, you didn't like, <laughs> you just got out of the way, kind of more or less. Um, and I, I fully understand the reasons that you were involved to begin with, but it is such a freeing thing for you to get out of that piece of it. I'm sure in a, in a, in a way it um, made his sponsor feel a little like he was now left in the cold as well because he had such great insight coming from yeah. my end as well. But um, his spy on I, the I just have mad respect for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my sponsor is all about service work, so he doesn't care. He, he, he loves all that, you know. It's considered yeah. service work, the way, you know, but... Um, I will say I don't goes. believe I don't believe you need AA to be sober, but uh, I what we have in my group is uh it's it's not regular AA it's like it's 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 uh I would uh we like to say it's a step above because it's just if you just go to the same place every week or every you know for meetings it's not it's not the same and we require more of ourselves, but um I because I have is that, that, is that the service you're talking about that's the what you require more of oh uh, we. If, if one of us is not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we jump on them. It just, I didn't like it at first. I hated it, but I mean, it, it keeps my, my butt in line. I'll say that much, but. Well, and you know, it's a true fellowship. It's not just. Uh, yes, yes. And it's a yeah. support program, you know, but I have friends that I, I, I know someone when I was at the dealership, he was 30 years sober, never went to one damn meeting in his life. Just decided one day he wasn't going to do it anymore. And he's a good person. He, he had, you know, but for me, I needed it. <laughs> I'm glad I'm doing so much for you. That's great. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'd be here without Echoes. Yeah. Because yeah, I would say that too. Echoes has been a blessing I didn't know I needed. Nikki tried Alanon, didn't like it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people told me that they didn't like that either. But since, um, since she, found that program with you it's good you know it helped her a lot well and it, it sounds like you know it's mutual just like it is in your group josh where if, if somebody's hurting you know you're going to jump in and help them out 
uh, Nikki, you give as much as you get out of the program, and we definitely appreciate that. One of the things that you've shared recently, I want you to tell this little story. Um, you've you've talked about how there's laughter in the relationship again, and that that had been missing for a long time. Um, tell the light bulb story real quick. <laughs> so, there's a new there's a new development in the light bulb story. So I'll oh, this is going to be like. Sherry and I, this is going to be like Sherry and I's bucket story. You guys have listened to the podcast and we talk about that damn, eight, you keep talking about how cheap you are, Josh. We, we've talked about a damn $8 bucket like three times on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So. so recently we had a bulb start flickering in our kitchen and Josh took it upon himself because he's been working more about uh, helping around the house. And took it upon himself to go buy some new light bulbs for our kitchen. And he put them in. And I swear you could see our house from space. But like half from space. Because he only replaced one out of the two bulbs. So (laughs) it's like half from space, maybe. But I just couldn't stop laughing. Because like, then I'm on the phone with my therapist, right? And I'm telling her about these bulbs that were like, oh my God, my husband replaced them. Yay. But it's like, oh, like this is, this is not a good, not a good ball. But how do you tell your husband that? Right. Because he did something very good and helpful to be supportive in the household. And she's like, you should totally print out a picture of Jesus. And now we can all pretty much paint this picture in her head of Jesus with like the aura behind him or that like oh moment you know that you see in movies <laughs> like the halo the yeah, like, like the halo. halo thing yeah the halo and like so I printed I found one and I printed it out and I marked on permanent marker on it and I said even Jesus uses soft white lights <laughs> because it was like such a soft light behind him and not this like led looking like i'm in an science lab light you know (laughs) and i put it in the kitchen and like put it on display and right by where josh dropped his receipts when he wants you to find them (laughs) not the same spot but (laughs) i hate yellow lights (laughs) yes so how did you take the the picture the little note for you I never even put it together <laughs> because I'm not on Facebook as much anymore. So it didn't even show me what she posted online. So then she said, when she said um, something about a light bulb story, I was like, what are you talking about? You didn't see my post? I'm like, what post? You know, it didn't tell me. I'm like, you didn't see but what I put on the cabinet above the light switch? <laughs> I saw that, but I just, I didn't, I don't know. It didn't click in my head. I, I, I didn't think anything of it. And then recently we went to another person's house and her husband was like talking about his obsession with like things like light bulbs and like stuff. And we're talking about smart bulbs. And so Josh went out now and has bought smart light bulbs for our house. What do those do? Well, I connected them to my Google and I can tell her what to do. They change colors. Wow. So I put one in the living room. I put, and I put three downstairs. I haven't bought more, but I told her to turn on the light and I, it was daylight. So it's like really bright white. And I was like, Lynn, I told her mom, I was like, you don't like it? Tell Google to put warm light, warm white. And then boom, it turned to warm to yellow, ugly white. So <laughs> yeah. best of both worlds now. 
it was funny and it's fun to be able to laugh and like just have that moment of going like if this is the problems that I have like I am okay with that well I know back when I was drinking if I had replaced the light bulbs and then Sherry didn't like them and had made a little joke I would have been all upset like look I I did this for you and you don't care and and I would have been pissed looking at the bulb I would have been pissed this is the thanks I get I actually do some work around here and (laughs) yeah Not yeah, only are you able to laugh about it, but you upgraded to the smart light bulbs. That's pretty amazing. The look on our daughter's face when I said, hey, Google, make the light red. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's worth the, the price of admission right there. You're not cheap. I think those those have got to be expensive, smart light bulbs. They are the less expensive brand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a badge of honor to be the, the cheapest you can be. I love it. Yeah. That's great. My yeah. parents called it frugal. <laughs> frugal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Nikki and Josh, I just can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about this. I love to hear you laughing and smiling. I've learned so much. All And our listeners have learned so much. They've learned about Kratom, which many of us didn't know what that was. They've learned about plentyoffish.com. I mean, listen, if you're looking for someone, try plentyoffish.com. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. And then the way the way you guys talk about it just rolls off your lips like everyone's heard of it before, you know? Free Pretty anymore. great. As far as I know. Well, I'm glad free anymore. <laughs> it was I'm free. glad it brought I'm cheap. It was free. Match.com. <laughs> Thanks. Great. And, and you saved that money to buy smart light bulbs later. So it all worked out. <laughs> I'm glad plentyoffish.com brought you two together, and I'm glad you took the time to sit down and talk with me today. You guys are a real blessing in my life, both of you. So thanks for uh, coming on and talking to us on the Untoxicated Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, take care, guys. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.